Yeah, the first time I got a, I got a radio and I was so excited and I turned on NPR and it happened to be this like st- one of those like story hour segments where this woman was talking about her first New York apartment in Chelsea and how it was the size of a jail cell. And if she ever had to go to prison, she knew that she'd be okay because <laughs> she had lived in this Chelsea apartment. Right. And I was just like, wow, this is just peak NPR. <laughs> yeah. um, but in all seriousness, the radios do, they're, they're very important there because it's like, it's a way that you can transport yourself out of this very chaotic space. Yeah, because you can listen to podcasts. So. Yeah, you can't even sign up to the Patreon for a show like this, which <laughs> you all should do. Um, but so where, where I was, it was, um, it was the Facility for Sentence Men, EMTC. Um, just to be clear, it's widely known as the calmest facility on the island, so I'm not flexing like I was in like the real nasty part of Rikers. Um, but it's nonetheless a place where you can find yourself in a dormitory filled with upwards of 60 or 70 guys. Uh, people coming off the streets, you know, people with mental health issues, freaking out, all kinds of conflicts. Um, and the radio is a good way to kind of transport yourself out, out of that setting. I was going to tell a story about uh, being in law. I feel it's very trivial for me to tell a story, though, because I feel like the difference between jail and prison is is pretty serious. You don't think so? No. Uh, it, it's actually funny. Um, the All the guys that I met who had been in uh, state prison were like, bro, this isn't prison. <laughs> like, this is nothing. This is bullshit. This is pussy shit. This is... And then... The, I met this Russian dude who had been to prison in Russia, and he was like, American prison is not prison. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine there was like an extraterrestrial observer watching us from space and be like, Earth prison is nothing. You know. Yeah, didn't he have some story about uh, going to see the dentist in the Russian prison? What about how they the cops extracted his teeth one by one <laughs> yeah. uh, when they were interrogating him? Yeah. And he removed two sets of complete dentures. To demonstrate that. I mean, here's here's a question, and this isn't directly related to Rikers, but I'm thinking about it in light of your research in the book. Uh, like Varg Varkanes, or whatever the fuck his name is, the Burzum guy, went to like sweet Swedish prison. You know, the guy went to like beautiful, have your own room, eat like bespoke meals. Like um, basically there might as well have been antlers hanging on the wall. He's playing like Xbox and shit like that. Is the reason why European prisons, not Russian specifically, but let's say Northern European prisons are more humane is uh, not just their political history, but the lack of autonomy of like prison guard unions and like the lack of a backlash like why is it that there are like sweet uh prisons for like uh black metal guys to go to after they murder their friends over there and not over here i'm not a political economist but my understanding of northern europe in general is that um they're very um highly protected populations of um the world's most privileged working people living off the surplus value of the entire planet. Um, and they're, they, they guard their borders zealously. Um, and they, um, they have a kind of, um, social, social contract, um, based on what we might call Keynesianism, um, that is premised on a, a very, uh, homogenous, uh, population. 
So what you're saying is we have to build that in the United States if we're going to do prison reform. We're going to have to build like a um, exclusionary social democracy that lives imperialistically off the uh, exploited wage labor. We also have to build, I guess, a stronger labor aristocracy. We have to basically like read settlers and be like, that was good, actually. Yeah, we tried to just make a black metal movement in the United States, seeing if that would do it, and it hasn't worked. It's almost like it's like a form of socialism, but it's like a it's like a national form of oh. socialism. And uh, I think that there's actually still one way that Bernie can still win. <laughs> so we might be able to. I'm now imagining in my head law and order, Bernie. One <laughs> percent. <laughs> Of all the workers commit 99% of all the crimes. This has to end. We have to stop the hoarding of all of the criminal behavior of this one working class percentage. We have to lock them up. We got to put them away. For too long have we suffered the tyranny of the lumpen proletariat. We must discipline them in wage labor. We must ensure that they live upstanding lives. And if they don't, I'm telling you, all of you people today, we will put them away for life. Three strikes is too, too many. Under a Bernie Sanders presidency, half the working class will be locked up if we have to do it, but the other half will live like a king, a chicken in every pot, a cup of noodles in every home. This is my promise to you as law and order Bernie Sanders. It's a really good impression. If you're in the Brooklyn DSA and you just tuned in, don't get excited. That was actually a bit. That is not the next candidate that you will be supporting for political office. Wow, thanks for the compliment, Andy. I, I feel like uh, if Michael Brooks was alive, I, I would yeah, like yeah. to think that he would like uh, Law and Order Bertie Sanders. Yeah, he would love it. Yeah. R.I.P. Michael. Yeah, we're yeah. good with that? What was that, 30 minutes? Me and my friend Johnny. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Uh, were you locked? Yeah, there was a, um, shall we say, a high-profile um, student occupation uh, back in the halcyon days of when I didn't yet drop out of college, uh, where some friends of us, friends uh, of ours, Andy's and myself, uh, ended up getting arrested, uh, ended up getting processed, ended up getting sent away. But... In the course of this action, it became clear to us within seven to eight hours of when we actually got arrested that we were going down big time, that uh, the cops had us surrounded and that they were going to take us. So one of the fellow demonstrators at this protest had brought a giant bottle of plastic pop-off vodka. Another one of our friends um, had a prescription for anti-anxiety medication. Suffice it to say, by the time the uh, officers of the law arrived, we were in quite a state. I was outside, and I always wondered why they carried you guys out. I thought you were uh, you were engaging in civil disobedience, but this sheds a lot more light on that. This, that was not resistance you saw there, my friend. <laughs> That was uh, that was old-fashioned. Um, I don't know what uh, obliteration, obliteration, <laughs> annihilation of oneself, knowing the impending disaster about to fall upon you, and uh, buffeting yourselves against the storms of the dehumanization of the institution. So uh, we end up in the paddy wagon 